2 Timothy. Second Timothy chapter 1. Second Timothy 1 12. Paul says something very important in this verse. He says, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. I want to preach this morning why Paul suffered unashamedly. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray you come down and bear witness to the truth of your word. Lord, we sure need to hear from you. And God, we know that if we're going to serve you in this day, we're going to suffer. And there's going to be some consequences to it. It's going to be kind of embarrassing and humiliating. And uh, we'll be tempted to be ashamed of it. And I pray we'll learn some things uh, today that help us get past that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want to say this morning that what Paul believed about the Lord Jesus enabled him to endure suffering with no shame. Now, Paul said because of his position, he suffered some things. Uh, if you do anything for God at all, you will suffer some. Yeah. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Whenever you do anything for God, expect two things. Expect opposition, but also expect blessing. You're going to get plenty of both. Amen. And same if you live for the devil. Right. And uh, you just may as well, since you're going to get plenty of both either way, you may as well do it for the Lord, who can reward you Amen. far better than the, than the devil. But uh, if you get thinking about Paul and how educated he was and how privileged he was and what authority he had, and then you notice that he was suddenly knocked down where he was beaten and despised and shamed and thrown in jail, and then when he did have the spiritual authority and would start these churches, they'd get bad-mouthed him and saying his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. They would insult him that way. Uh, if, he, if he wasn't sure of himself, I say sure of himself, I mean through the Lord, in the Lord, that could have beat him down. What if he would have had an inferiority complex? <laughs> but Paul suffered and he was unashamed. A Christian that suffers none, and especially one that gets along well or is popular with the world, bears no resemblance to the one that Paul taught. Amen. Paul, if Paul looked at these Christians and everybody in the community loves them, he'd think, so what's your religion? It's obviously not Christianity. Uh, biblical Christianity is not popular in their uh, community. Now, it might be in the neighborhood with them, among some close friends and some family members. Don't misunderstand. I don't mean that we don't have friends and we don't have some loved ones. Thank God we do. But overall, we're, we're just not popular. Uh, in fact, the outstanding danger of much of today's so-called Christianity is its popularity with the world and the world's popularity in it. 1 John 2.15 says, Clearly, unmistakably, love not the world, Amen. neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, 
the love of the Father is not in him. You can't dress like the world. I, you know, I, every spring I bring out my verses, you know, on showing the thigh and how it's nakedness, and I think I, I don't remember doing that this spring, so I'll have to get that out here. You can't dress like the world. You can't listen to the world's music. You can't watch the world's shows. You can't fill your mind with the world's philosophies. If you and the world get together in any of these categories, you don't have anything to do with the Bible, and the Bible doesn't have anything to do with you. If there's anything this Bible teaches in both Testaments, according to Dr. Upman, uh, and of course we don't need it to be according to him, but he does back us up on these things, the biggest sin of God's people in either Testament is living like the people around them. That's where, that's where I'll mess you up. And as long as you do that, you know what I know? I know you're ashamed. You don't want to look weird. You don't want to look different. You want to be like them. You want to like what they like. You want to look like they look. You want to... Yeah, that's right. Can't do it. Not if you want to be a Bible-believing Christian. Now, if you want to be a cool dude, you can do it all day long, but you won't have anything to do with the Bible, and you won't have the power of the Holy Spirit, etc., etc., and you don't love God because the love of the Father is not in Him if you love the world. James 4.4 4 is even a little stronger. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God? That's what it says. Is that what you want to be? I just don't want to be an enemy to this world. Fine. Then you can be an enemy of God. That's just the way it... Listen. Uh, let me read you one other from Galatians 6 here. Galatians 6, verse 14. But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. I mean, as far as you're concerned, the world is dead to you, and you're dead to it. Is that not what that verse just said? Yep. Am, I, am I putting my spin on this, or is that what the verses say? Amen. As long as he was lost, Saul of Tarsus had good standing in the world. He was up and coming. He was admired. He was respected. He was given responsibility and authority. But Paul, after he was saved, you know, his name was Paul, our pattern, according to 1 Timothy 1.16, was not popular with the world. But we do have some of the people around him loving the world. And what did they do? Demas, having loved this present world, has forsaken me. Isn't that what it says? Amen. And who is our pattern? Paul. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Well, did you believe on the Lord after Paul? I think all of you did. Yes. <laughs> then he is your pattern. And how does he describe that pattern? I admit I hate these words. <laughs> all long suffering. That means to suffer for a long time. <laughs> I hate that, man. That is my least favorite part of the Christian life is that suffering for a long time. But it is the pattern that we are to follow. 
And believe me, I don't say that because I want to. I say that only because that is what 1 Timothy 1.16 clearly, unequivocally says. And I'm trying to obey the Word of God. Yet, you say, well, boy, this is negative. I can't do anything fun. I've got to look weird in front of people all the time. Terrible, terrible, terrible. Who in the world wants to do this? Well, here's, here's why you do want to do it. Because Paul was always writing of his joy and rejoicing and being in God and God's people. He was not miserable and he was not a recluse. Yeah. Now, let's compare that with the people that look cool with this world. They're drunk or on drugs, at least antidepressants, seeing shrinks. I think they call them therapists and life coaches now. And can't get their relationships together and can't get their finances together and can't get their lives together. Do I paint a correct picture or do I exaggerate? Amen. And Paul, who looked weird to them and all these things that we Christians hate today, was speaking of rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. Peter says, joy unspeakable and full of joy of glory. Is it possible we've got the wrong idea of what brings joy? Yes. Amen. Amen. That's right, man. All right, so let's look at how Paul was able to suffer unashamedly. To come from his position of authority to suffering and wasn't even ashamed of it. Now, men have a ego. You ever heard of a male ego? Mm -hmm. And when they don't get what they think is rightfully theirs, they feel insulted. I'm going to show you men today how you can suffer and not feel insulted and not even be ashamed of it. And women like being in control of their little world. Yeah. Their children and what's going on at their house. Some of you got kids that are growing up. I know, I know. They're supposed to respect you and all that sort of thing. That's the way it should be. That's the way I teach it. That's the way I preach it. That's what the Bible says. But here in the real world, it's not that easy at all. Let me tell you something. There are going to be some times that things are rightfully yours and they don't have a right to treat you that way and take that from you and do this to you and put you in such a lowly place and it's going to be a shame and embarrassing and humiliating and it won't be any worse than what Paul went through and the big drop he took. And it sure won't be any worse than what the Lord Jesus Christ went through when the crown jewel of heaven came down here and was treated the way he was treated. You know what the key is to you taking that suffering and it not even bothering you? Know the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't mean just get saved, although that's certainly the first step of it. What I mean is you get to know him closely. So let's expound this verse here in just a few minutes and we'll talk about how Paul was able to do that. All right, he says in verse 12 there, he says, I know whom I have believed. Now let's emphasize, first of all, whom. I know whom. I have believed. Now, who was it that he believed? Obviously, the Lord Jesus Christ. But this knowledge must be, number one, scriptural. In other words, it is the Jesus of the Bible. There's a Jesus uh, that this world promotes and that some religions promote that is not the Jesus of the Bible. Amen. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. 
and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Even the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that saves our soul bows in submission to the scriptures. Amen. Yeah. The scriptures is what's number one. And so if you're going to know the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to know the scriptural Lord Jesus Christ. All right? Second thing about uh, knowing the Lord is the personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He says, I know. Not, oh, I got this good preacher. Oh, he preaches the Bible. He believes that old King James Bible. Oh, I got this good Sunday school teacher. She has such a heart for the Lord. She just loves the Lord and loves little children so much. Well, I'm glad they do, but that won't help you. No. You need to know him. Yes, that's right. Oh, don't worry. I, I'm here in America, and we're a Christian nation. <laughs> oh, brother. Oh, I'm down here in the Bible Belt. We got churches everywhere. I'm glad they do, but that won't help you. I know him. Not my preacher, not my teacher, not my family, not my friends, not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. The scriptural Lord Jesus, you need to know the personal Lord Jesus. I know. All right, I know whom that is the saving Lord Jesus. There was the Jesus that uh, was virgin born, but that little baby in the manger never saved anyone, did he? There was the Jesus that did wonderful miracles. But while he was doing miracles, nobody was being saved. Not in the New Testament sense. But when he was on that cross, he looked over at a dying thief and said, This day thou shalt be with me in paradise. Amen. <laughs> he never looked at anybody that thanked him for the sandwich that he gave him, you know, when he made the five loaves and two fishes and said, Oh, well, you're going to heaven now that you're eating that sandwich. I mean, it was a sandwich made by Jesus, wasn't it? That's right. But that isn't what saves your soul. It'll be the scriptural Jesus. It'll be the personal Jesus. It'll be the saving Jesus. You need to know him as your Savior. You need to know him as your Redeemer. Not just a good teacher. Not a powerful prophet. Not just a historical figure. But who are you trusting to wash your sins away and give you eternal life? Yes, Amen. That's how you need to know him then you also need to know him spiritually. He's not on that cross anymore. He's not in that manger anymore. He's not, uh, you know, turning the water to wine right now down here on earth. You need to know him spiritually. You need to know him so that when you're at work facing a problem, when you're in your home facing a problem, when somebody's doing you wrong and treating you wrong, you can get a hold of him and him not literally and physically here. 2 Corinthians 5.16 Wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh yea though we have known Christ after the flesh yet now henceforth know we him no more therefore if any man be in Christ he is a new creature old things are passed away behold all things are become new I know whom I mean the Lord Jesus Christ when I say whom scripturally personally in a saving way and in a spiritual way all right, the next thing he says is, I know whom. That is, I am familiar with him. I know him. I know what he likes. I know what he doesn't like. I know what he talked about. I know what he didn't say anything about. I know what he wills for me. I know his desires for me. I know what he said about sin. I know what he said about hell. 
No character in the Bible talked about hell as much as the Lord Jesus. He thought that was a real important subject. We don't talk about that enough, do we? I know what he said about sin. I know what he said about hell. I know what he said about righteousness. That was real crucial to a holy God. I know what he said about heaven. I know what he said about faith. I know what he said about mercy. I know whom. I know what he said. I know what he did. I know about his creation. By him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible. I know what he did. I know about his humiliation to humanity. If you know that, what in the world are you worried about your little humiliation? Amen. I don't care if your wife disrespects you when she's supposed to be in submission and your kids disrespect you when they're supposed to honor their father and the people at work disrespect you and the neighbors disrespect you and the family doesn't like you anymore and you lose your money so people look down on you, you still won't come anywhere close to what Jesus went through. Amen. If you've got a good appreciation for what he went through, you can suffer unashamedly because you're friends with him. You're on his side. I know whom, what he said. I know whom, what he did. His sinless life. In spite of all that, he still lived a sinless life. Amen. Boy, humanly speaking, couldn't we say we wouldn't have blamed him if he had just cleaned a few people's clocks yes. <laughs> when they talked to him the way they did? I mean, if anybody would have had a right to, he did. But as an example to you and me, he didn't. Amen. Any justification for the way we talk to people sometimes? No. I'm going to change subjects real quick. Sinless life, selfless life, came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. You say, yeah, well, he was the sorrowing Savior. He was uh, went around sad all the time. Yeah, but he knew there was a pay on the other side, didn't he? Yes. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set on the right hand of the Father. You, you know of a place higher than that and better than that? Amen. Yeah, he, he knew there was a payoff in the end. What he did, selfless life, death, but also resurrection. I know what he said, I know what he did, I know what he promised. And the number one promise I'll mention, in my opinion, for me personally, is the best of all of them. His presence. I can't think of anything better than having the presence of God with me. I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's as good as any promise I've ever seen. <laughs> I can take anything if I'm right there with the Father, right there with the Son. He promised his presence. He promised sufficient grace to get through the trials. He promised a home in heaven. I know whom the Lord Jesus Christ. I know whom. I'm familiar with him and know some things. All right, number three. He says in this passage, uh, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. 
So he says, I am not ashamed for I know. So because of the things he knows, he's not even ashamed of the suffering he's going through. It doesn't even bother him that way. He'll take it. Jesus did even more. And besides that, you can't humiliate me when I'm best friends with the creator of the universe. So he says, I have committed unto him. Hey, Christian, have you committed everything unto Jesus? Have you just given him the whole family, all your money, every worry you got, every trouble you got? Just cast all your care on him, for he careth for you. I have committed unto him my soul to be preserved and kept. We're in 2 Timothy, just a few pages over. It's Hebrews. I'm going to read Hebrews 6, uh, 17 to 19. It says, uh, Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, it can't change, confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who had fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. So I've given him my soul to be kept, and I have a hope sure and steadfast, backed up by two immutable things, where it's impossible for God to lie. I'm saved. I have a strong hope. I have a hope that can't be disappointed. You say, then why do you call it hope? Because I'm hoping it all gets, comes to fruition right now today, and it may not. But there's no doubt about whether it's going to one day. 1 Peter 4.19 Let them that suffer, suffer according to the will of God, commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. Christian, when you're going through suffering, just commit the keeping of your souls to God. But notice these two words, in well-doing. You just keep doing right. Regardless of what they're saying, regardless of how they're persecuting you, regardless of how you're misunderstood, can you imagine if Jesus would have tried to explain to everybody every single time he was misunderstood? You're not ever going to be able to explain them all. Granted, if you feel the Lord leading you to explain once in a while, go ahead and explain. That's fine. No harm. But if you try to explain every misunderstanding, you'll turn that into a full-time job. <laughs> Just commit the keeping of your soul unto a faithful creator in well-doing, and you keep doing right while you're doing it. If you're busy defending yourself all the time, you'll be too busy to ever stay busy doing right. My soul is what I've committed unto him, to be preserved and kept. I've committed unto him my words, what I say. I believe everything ought to be committed to him. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Your words, your deeds, everything you've got, give it to the Lord. I've committed what unto him? My body. A living sacrifice. Romans 12. I beseech you therefore brethren. By the mercies of God. That ye present your body. A living sacrifice. Unto God. 
holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, why? That ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know why a lot of people don't know the will of God and they get their relationship wrong and they get where they go to college wrong and they get the job that they take wrong and they get where they move wrong and they just make all these mistakes and they're scared to make a move because the last five they've made were all wrong. You know what the problem was? Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable. As long as you're acting like the world, you're going to get all the decisions wrong. The first thing you have to do to start getting your decisions right is you have to look weird to the world. You have to think differently than them in every way. Spend your money differently than them. Marry differently than them. And complete your own list. Be not conformed to the world. That's step one. Then you can start figuring out the will of God. You'll never figure it out if you don't do it that way. Because then you're not giving your body as a sacrifice unto God. You're doing what you want with your body. Yeah. No, well, what you want is never going to agree with God as long as you're sinful flesh and He's Holy Spirit. Sinful flesh and Holy Spirit are opposites. If you like it, He'll hate it. <laughs> That's just the way it is. People used to understand these things. I feel, I feel like I'm wasting my time even trying to explain it. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray God, your whole spirit and soul, here it is, and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what do I commit to him? I commit unto him my soul to be preserved and kept. I commit unto him my words and deeds for his glory. I commit unto him my body, a living sacrifice. Oh me. Lord, what you want done with this body, I'll do. What happens if you don't commit all that to him and sacrifice it to him? Well, then you do what you want to do. How does that work? How's that working for everybody that's doing it now? They're miserable, stay mad, can't keep their friendships together, can't keep anything together. Because all they can do is fight for their rights. And they did me wrong and they disrespected me. Yeah, they did Jesus too. And they did the Apostle Paul too. I'm pretty sure that's our main two examples, isn't it? Amen. All right, so he said, I know whom, and I know whom, and I have committed, now let's look at this, and am persuaded. Isn't that wonderful? Let me tell you what will help you be unashamed in your suffering for the Lord when you really believe him to the point he has persuaded you. All right, now what persuades us about the Lord? Number one, mainly, the love of Christ. Let me tell you what does not persuade anybody almost ever. A logical argument. <laughs> when you was a little kid and you wanted a nice new toy, did you want a logical argument of which would be the best toy for your future? Or did you want the one that looked the most fun to you? When you wanted a boyfriend or a girlfriend, sweetheart, did you want a logical argument of which one would be the best fit for you? Or did you want the one you was most attracted to? 
when uh, you found a job, did you want a logical argument of what would be the best fit? Or what would give you the most free time if that's what you're after? Or what would make you the most money if that's what you're after? Or surround you with the most friends if that's what you're after? We don't make our decisions based on logic. We just don't and never have. And we may as well quit pretending like we do. There's never going to ever be a time we're going to make our decisions based on logic. That's just not what humans do. But I tell you what they do sometimes. They do sometimes based it on love and feelings, don't they? Romans 8.38 For I am persuaded Oh, here's some persuasion That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord Amen. You know how Paul got persuaded? By love Amen. Love lifted me I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry. From the waters lifted me, now safe am I. Love lifted me. Amen. I've heard people sing that, and they even got rid of all the words and just sang, Love, love, and just got rid of lifted me. <laughs> you know why? That's the part that persuaded you. That's what will do it. You make your purchases based on your feelings. I, I found out in business a long time ago, you can rip people off all you want to as long as they feel like they got a good deal. And I also learned that you can give them the best deal in six counties and it won't do a bit of good unless they feel like they got a good deal. I've tried that, putting on a piece of paper and showing them the figures and showing them the dollars and showing how this is the best deal anywhere around. Didn't help one bit. But when they felt like they got a good deal, completely disconnected from any logic or mathematical figures, they were happy as could be. <laughs> That's what persuades you is your feelings. I hate it. I don't like it. That's just the truth. I am persuaded by the love of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.14 For the love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. It doesn't exactly make logical sense in our brains how that Jesus dying on the cross being buried and rising again somehow saves me from my sins. That, we don't necessarily make all those connections. But I'll tell you what we do, we get some feelings from that. And that's what brings us in. That's what gets our attention. You see a, you see a bloody Savior on a cross, you feel something. And if you don't, you're past feeling. There's something wrong somewhere. Now, thank God, God knows all the reasonings behind it, but to the lost man, he doesn't understand things. Natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. I'm persuaded by the love of Christ. I'm persuaded by the power of Christ. Isn't it impressive sometimes to see an awesome display of power? Yes. Oh, yeah. Why is it we go to these huge waterfalls and just sit there and watch that thing? Why do we watch a roaring fire? 
Why do we watch this big, heavy equipment? You know why? Power. Strength. You get feelings from that. You go, whoa, that's cool. Well, let me tell you about a power that will get a hold of you. Romans 4, 19. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body, now dead, when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. Here's Abraham believing God about having a child when he was past age. Verse 20. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded. There's the persuaded we're talking about. That what he had promised, he was able also to perform. And therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. You know what will persuade you? Number one, the love of Christ. Number two, the power of Christ. You know what also persuades you? Your experience with Christ. I know who I'm talking to here. I'm talking to some people that's been with the Lord a good long time. You've been saved. He changed your life. He helped your family. He changed you since you've been saved, too. A bunch of wonderful things have happened. He's gotten through you through some hard times. Amen. We don't need to be doubting him, do we? The song says, Too many miles behind me. Too many trials are through. Too many tears help me to remember. There's too much to gain to lose. The second verse says, I've crossed the hot burning desert, struggling the right road to choose. Somewhere up ahead there's cool, clear water, and defeat is a word I do not use. The chorus says, too many sunsets lie behind the mountains, too many rivers my feet have walked through, too many treasures are waiting over yonder. There's too much to gain, to lose. Another song says, I've come too far to look back again. There is nothing behind me. All the treasures I used to love have all faded from view. There's a new day ahead for me. All my heartache is over, for I left it at Calvary where my new life began. Look around. There's no happiness. There's no reason for living. Life will give you a broken dream full of sorrow and fear. Turn around. Don't look back again. Face the new day before you. Place your heartache in Jesus' hand. He can mend broken dreams. The chorus says, I've come too far to look back. My feet have walked through the valley. I've climbed mountains, crossed rivers, desert places I've known. But I'm nearing the home shore. The redeemed are rejoicing. Heaven's angels are singing. I've gone too far to look back. Or as the famous old hymn says, Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Amen. As Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You know what ought to persuade you? The love of Christ, the power of Christ, experience with Christ. Testimony of others. How about Joseph? Oh, did you know a pessimist, if you want to call us that, could find plenty of reason to quit on God in the story of Joseph? Here he was the beloved of the father, and his brothers sold him essentially into slavery, and 
he worked and worked and worked and for being faithful he was thrown into jail and then he interpreted some guys' dreams and got it 100% right and they were supposed to take a message and get him out of there but they forgot him for two whole years but you know what his testimony was? God hath made me forget all my toil Amen. how about Job? did nothing but right he was perfect the Lord, the Lord said this, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. Amen. How would you like God's testimony of you to be perfect and upright, fears God and eschews evil? And yet he went through the very, he is the proverbial picture in the dictionary beside trial, isn't he? And yet, his testimony was, the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. Yeah. How about the Apostle Paul, our pattern? He was persecuted and jailed and stoned and apparently died and went up to the third heaven and came back. And yet, what was his testimony? He got up and went right back to where they just had stoned him. <laughs> Whoa, what is he thinking? Apparently, he knows there's a payoff at the end. What about John's prayer in Revelation? After all he's been through for the Lord Jesus, say, yeah, Lord, you got me boiled in oil and put, a, put on this old island in exile. You know what he said? Come quickly, Lord Jesus. He wanted the same Lord back that he had suffered all those things for. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things and to count them but dung that I may win Christ. You know why you can do what Paul did here? Because you know Jesus. When you know Jesus, what in the world are you worried about having good standing with people around you? What a silly thing. It is a shame for me how many Christians quit on God. Don't misunderstand. I am not lessening the trials they go through. They are bad. I don't know things that everybody goes through, but I know some. I've had a few. But why quit on the Lord? Why would you do that? Why can you play video games and look at dirty stuff online, but you can't read your Bible? Why can you scroll social media, but can't sit in church? I'll tell you what, I, I think that answers some of the questions we have. We're looking to something else other than Jesus. What did Paul do so that he wasn't even ashamed of his suffering? I know whom. I know whom. I have committed. I and am persuaded. Now look at this. Against that day. There is a day that we're looking forward to that makes everything worth it. I think they played the song, It Will Be Worth It All When We See Jesus. Not, It Will Be Worth It All When I Have Graduated. It Will Be Worth It All When We Get Married. It Will Be Worth It All When We Have Children. It Will Be Worth It All When I Get Promoted. It Will Be Worth It All When I Finally Retire. No, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. If you're looking for it to be worth it all before that, you're looking at the wrong time. Committed unto him against that day. All right, now, 1 Peter 1, 6. 
Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory, when? At the appearing of Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 6.14 That thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, when? Until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Titus 2.12 Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. 2 Thessalonians 2.1 Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto Him, the coming of Jesus figures into everything Paul talks about. That ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that day of Christ is at hand. 1 Corinthians 1.7 So that ye come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.8 who shall also confirm you unto the end that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 2.16 Holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. Your reward comes at the day of Christ. Now don't misunderstand. He'll give you some blessings to help you along the way. You will get them. I sure get them. Every day. His mercies, I can honestly say with that passage in Lamentations, His mercies are new every morning. Okay, so I'm not saying you'll never have any joy down here. But the big payoff is at the day of Christ, and he'll keep you pretty well fed between now and then. Ever stop to think how important that day is? We're in uh, 2 Timothy here anyway, so look down at 2 Timothy chapter 1, look down at verse uh, 16. The Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus, for he oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. The Lord grant unto him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day. And in how many things he ministered unto me at Ephesus, thou knowest very well. You know what you need to do if you want to not be ashamed of the suffering? Just remember your payoff isn't here. Your payoff is in glory. Now, uh, there was a Christian missionary that had been out, uh, and a preacher that had been out preaching in some mission fields, and a lot of people heard him preach, and a lot of people had got saved, and he came back home. And as he came back home, he was coming back home about the same time that Teddy Roosevelt had been on one of his hunting expeditions <laughs> and killed some uh, wild game, you know, and the crowds were all there to see Teddy Roosevelt. And as the preacher got back, there was no crowd to see him, and he'd won a lot of souls to Jesus. Furthermore, his wife had a headache and couldn't even come pick him up. <laughs> and had to send somebody else to get him and bring him home. And he thought, what a shame. Here's Teddy Roosevelt. He killed a few animals, and the crowds are thronging him. And all I did was lead some people to the Lord, and a bunch of people got saved, and it'll be in eternity forever and not one person even noticing me. How come he got welcomed home that way and I get welcomed home this way? And somebody said to him very wisely, you're not home yet. <laughs> when you get home, the band will be playing. 
When you get home, the crowns will be given. The reward will be given. Now, of course, you know they're for the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll cast them at his feet. But you will be recognized, I assure you. All right, what have we seen today? The truth that living godly costs some suffering that would seem to humiliate, but Paul said he is not ashamed. Even Paul, brought up in honorable, respectable, social, and religious standing, was not ashamed when Christ brought disdain and ridicule of others. Paul overlooked this humiliation to see the blessings that lay before a life for Christ. Much like Christ endured the cross, despising the shame for the joy that was set before him. Now I want to ask you this. Do you see the joy that is laid up ahead of you for the shame that you suffer sometimes? Are you sure of the knowledge and fully persuaded about these things? If you do, then here's what you do. Commit it all to him. Give him the whole thing. And don't even worry about it. And if you feel anything about those that try to humiliate you while you're serving God, feel pity for them that they don't recognize what a terrible thing they're doing and what a wonderful reward you get. No wonder Paul said, I suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. Dear Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to preach your word. And I pray you take these things and Lord, if we're going to serve you, there's going to be 